Welcome to the world of Pokemakers. I'm Professor Fierce. And I'm Professor Fierce. But if that's too confusing, you can call us... JD. And Alex. For some people, Pokemon are pets. Others use them for battles. We're here to create all new Pokemon. And a world for them to inhabit. Last time, we created the starting town and the first area of Rentia in Pokemon Marble and Bronze. We created Capolina as the starting town. And it's set on an island based on Sicily. And as part of the ongoing story, you'll be able to take on optional quests to build up the city and develop it throughout the game. We also made some Pokemon. Pokemon? We made our early bug Pokemon. Yeah, your quote-unquote root one bug. We've got Larvetro, which evolves into Crystallis, and then evolves into three different butterflies, depending on which elemental stone you use. We've got Farfuoco, the fire butterfly. We've got Farfulmine, the electric butterfly, and Farfreda, the ice butterfly. And these butterflies are also based on the glasswing butterfly. Or the Greta Otto. And have stained glass wings. Before we get started, Alex, breaking news! What? New Pokemon! Oh yeah! There was a trailer on Pokemon Day, of course. Yeah for Scarlet and Violet DLC, and so there are going to be new Pokemon as part of that. First off, we have a trio of Pokemon. Yeah, I'm very interested in those. <laughs> They're very fun. They are Monkey Dory, <laughs> a monkey Pokemon, Okie Dogie, <laughs> a dog, and Pheasantipity, a bird, a very fun looking bird, Hunky Dory, <laughs> Okie Dogie, and slightly more subtle, Serendipity, mm. for the names of those. Yeah. And so they've got a lot of very similar aesthetics to them. There's a lot of black in their designs and they've all got these pink ring scarf things. Yeah. There's speculation there's some kind of starter Pokemon because they do they, match up. They do seem to be fire, grass, water. The designs are cool. I like that they're a like cohesive group. Yeah, they're very clearly a trio. It could be that it's not a starter in a traditional sense, but maybe yeah. you choose one of the three. So the other two are more like the mascots of like with Sword and Shield, there are two separate DLCs and the Isle of Armor and Crown Tundra each had their own mascot Pokemon in Cubfu. Yeah and Calyrex. This time, the two parts have Ogopon, which is this little leafy mask-themed guy. Yeah. Like, he must be a grass type. He's covered in leaves. It does seem like And it. very green. But he's also got, like, crystalline effects on him. I like it. I like the little guy. And the mascot for the second part of the DLC is Terrapagos, which, if you delved particularly deep into the story in Scarlet and Violet, you'll realize this is the disc Pokemon that was alluded to as being the source of terrestrial energy and mm. terrestrializing which is really cool. We expected this was coming. Yeah. Couple things about this. So first, very cool the way it ties into the story already. Yeah. Like the fact that it was alluded to compared to the new Pokemon, the DLC for Sword and Shield, which just came out of nowhere. Yeah. It's really cool that this has been already hinted at. I do love that. Second, we now have a Gen 9 Turtle Pokemon. <laughs> Gen 9 Turtle confirmed. Yeah. I'm sure we've talked about this in the past that every generation has some kind of turtle-like Pokemon. Yeah. Even though some of them are like Shuckle, which is like an Endolith. It's not actually a turtle but there's sure. clearly some turtle yeah, ones there yeah. Avalug was kind of weak for Gen 6 but whatever yeah. but Gen 9 had nothing that you could even argue as close to it until now we've got Terrapagos Turtle Third Wow do I love that name It's very That's good That's such a good name Last part Pagos coming from Galapagos Great Yeah But then Terra being both a Terrapin but also Terrastalize Yeah Of course because this is the source of Terrastal energy yeah. So it turns out the reason it's called Terrastalize which up till now just seem like kind of an arbitrary nonsense term because it's named after a turtle <laughs> turtle power turtle power terrestrializing is turtle power we talked about making Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Pokemon turns out every Pokemon in Gen 9 is already a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle whoa <laughs> 
It's got this whole thing as well with symbols of all the different types apart from wind and astro on it as well. Mm, probably going to have some kind of multi-type ability like Arceus. Probably. So my guess is it's probably pure normal. I like its design though. It's cute. It is cute. Like a lot of people thought it was going to be more intimidating and impressive from the sketches. Yeah. But the sketches weren't entirely accurate because there are two new Paradox Pokemon which again were hinted at in game already. Mm. Scarlet and Violet already had hints to another past Paradox Pokemon and another future one. The past one appearing to be an amalgam of the three legendary beasts Entei, Suikun, and Raikou and the future one appearing to be an amalgamation of the Swords of Justice Cobalion, Terrakion, and Virizion. Mm. These ones, for whatever reason, are much more clearly based on just one of them. The Virizion version, Iron Leaves in the future is definitely just a robot Virizion. Yeah, I don't really see the other ones in that Not even slightly. Walking Wake is a paradox Suikun but it does still clearly have some small aspects of mm. Raikou and Entei. But also it's a lizard now instead of a cat <laughs> beast? Whatever Suikun what? is. People already arguing about what kind of beast they are whether they're cats or dogs and now you're telling us its ancestor is a lizard? I mean they're not anything. They're just creatures. I guess. And they're legendaries like whatever. But well, they're not legendaries really. Yeah. They're paradoxes but they're not particularly interesting to me to be honest. Terrapagos is kind of an exception both with design and law. Yeah. These two are like okay yeah. But speaking of legendary Pokemon today we're going to be making the legendary mascot Pokemon for Pokemon Marble and Bronze but before we get into building those we're going to talk about the role they'll play in the plot and so for that we're going to go to the experience share. far into this this is very important to me mm -hmm. it's so clear in my head that these legendaries exist in our world okay. as statues oh okay yeah yeah right these legendaries <laughs> exist in our world no like I mean like <laughs> I want physical statues of the legendaries yeah I mean statues was also the logical conclusion I came to as well like it's renaissance artwork we're based in a museum marble and bronze it's right there your game either has a marble statue or a bronze statue yeah of course and it's probably in the museum museum and maybe that is the legendary and you end up reviving it as part of the plot. Yeah, some games have had similar things to that before. Like Pokemon Black and White, you had the Black Orb and the White Orb mm. in the Necrine Museum that Team Plasma tried to steal. It turns out it is either Reshiram or Zekrom. Yeah, that same kind of thing. Yeah. I've got something to add to that and before I do that, brief rundown of Pokemon mascots in the past. Yeah, oh yeah, sorry. I, no. I was excited. No, <laughs> you're right and you're good and I agree with you. Gen 1 just used Starter Pokemon because it's what's there. Gen 2 just used the legends that they had. And then Gen 3 on was when they really started thinking about it and building them into the story more. Mm. So Gen 8, Zacian and Zanazenta, the dogs, which is such a shame, so annoying, because wolves would be so good to do for our legends <laughs> here based on Romulus and Remus. It's right there yeah. in the whole founding of Rome. Yeah. But it's way too similar to Zacian and Zamazenta to do that. Yeah. And then we come to Gen 9, where we've got Coridon and Maridon, two lizard bikes. Yeah. Which, yeah, sure. So the thing is as well about legendaries is that, generally speaking, you and I, and I think probably a lot of players, don't particularly care for legendary Pokemon. I know some people are just like, oh, they look so cool. They're yeah, so that's cool. Fine. And, like, and sometimes have... it's like, oh, the movies. Mm -hmm. I will always hold a soft spot for Lugia because the power of one is the best Pokemon movie. Don't at me. <laughs> but. But nowadays there's so many legendary Pokemon for one thing. But that changed with Scarlet and Violet for us. Yeah, they were so good. Coridon for me and Maridon for you because I played Scarlet first and you played Violet first. We fell in love with because of their role in the story and the fact that they're just with you the whole time. Yeah. You, they had 
personalities. They had personalities. They helped you. They had a purpose in the game. They yeah. all, you ride them. They love sandwiches. They love sandwiches. <sighs> I love my lizard dog bike who eats every sandwich. So those we loved because they're built into the game in this way. Mm. So I want something similar for us with our legendaries this time. I want to be able to care about our legendaries. So we don't want to do the same thing for one thing. We don't want mm. to just do the mount again. Yeah. And they so clearly need to be statues. So having them okay. in the museum makes sense. I was worried you were going to take this away no, no, from no. me. No, no, no. But I want you to still interact with them throughout the game and not just have them be something you can see. Okay. So my thought is, when you start out, you don't have the statue. Maybe you have part of the statue, but as you play the game, you recover pieces of the statue and rebuild oh. it. Because... Like so many things from antiquity, they've just been broken and damaged over time. And so you recover the lost yeah. pieces by doing missions and build up your statue oh. made of marble or bronze. That's very Depending cool. on your game. Yeah. That's a cool concept because at the beginning you don't necessarily know what it looks yeah, like. Yeah, it's more mysterious. And it slowly becomes revealed yeah. what the form of this thing is. And then like you get the final piece of the puzzle late in the game from, I don't know, maybe an evil character or something. Yeah. Which is probably the head of the statue yeah. as well yeah and it all comes together and comes to life and it's grateful to you for helping it and that's da, great because that's your mission from the museum yeah as like a whole regardless of which path yeah. you take it can't just be that like you get one say for doing the gym badges because that yeah, doesn't yeah. fit no they would be like story beats yeah we know that no matter which path you take you'll do some missions for the other paths yeah maybe each path just has a set one that is say for instance the third gym badge you do this part of the other path and this part of the other path yeah yeah. And so you get them at those points. How many pieces do you think would be the right amount? Five minimum. Yeah, I agree. Five is the least. And that's probably not counting, like, the museums probably have a piece already as, like, the, the base. Yeah, they start. They got, like, the base to start with. As well as that, there'd be, like, six total at least. Mm. Maybe up to, like, ten. Okay. And you collect those pieces. Maybe we talk about this other major museum that's probably going to have roles in the plot that's going to be in our Rome city. They could have part of the statue as well, maybe. Uh. Or some kind of connection there. I'm sure there's something going on there with these statues at that museum too. When I was thinking about things to do with legendaries, one of my favorite things that I do like about legendaries is the way that they often are built into the world. There's a mythos about them. Yeah, a history and yeah. a mythology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are legendary. They're not just random things. Yeah. yeah, they have some kind of root. Did you know Romeo and Juliet is originally an Italian story? Yeah, right. It's set in yeah, Verona. It's, it's set in Italy. A lot of Shakespeare stories are... Italian. Yeah. Is that Two Gentlemen of Verona? The Merchant of Venice? Uh-huh. A lot of Italian influences in Shakespeare there. Yeah. I don't know how widely known it is that Shakespeare didn't invent that story. Shakespeare didn't invent much. Shakespeare didn't actually Shakespeare's invent much. kind of a hack. <laughs> Did you know Shakespeare ripped off the story of Hamlet from Disney? <laughs> yeah, they did it in The Lion King. Yeah, they did The Lion King first and then Shakespeare was like, what if it was about humans though? <laughs> did you know he ripped off the story of Richard III from Richard III, <laughs> the real human person? Dang! <laughs> Did you know Julius Caesar was based what? on Julius Caesar in Italy? <laughs> yeah, most of what Shakespeare did was just retelling stories for yeah. the public, essentially. Yeah, a different of, audience. I think it would be really fun to have a pair of Pokemon who, in the mythos, were in love. That's interesting. Pokemon's had plenty of these two characters are rivals, Groudon and Kyogre. Yeah. We've got brothers in Generation 8. Yeah. That's a connection that we've not really had before. It feels so classic. Very Italian. Very Italian. Romance. Roman. Ro it's the whole thing. Romance. Da Vinci. Da Vinci. <laughs> 
So these two legendary mm-hmm. Pokemon who were so greatly in love, but sacrifice themselves for each other and are encased in... Stone or metal. Stone or metal to keep them preserved so that they mm. can stay together for all time. Although I'm imagining they're not encased in the material. The Pokemon themselves are just made of the material. That's good too, yeah. yeah. So is that a fun concept? Oh yeah, that's brilliant. I love that. <laughs> so that means that the two games will have to allude to the other game's legendary yeah, in some I, capacity. You had mentioned that maybe the bigger museum in our Rome mm. place has something to do with the statue. Maybe they have the other statue. Okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like maybe to revive them, you have to reunite them. Yeah, that's cool. Now that we know what role these legendaries will play in the plot, we can move over to Who's That Pokemon? I have one other kind of minor detail concept-wise before we go into more specifics about the design. Sure. A lot of legendary Pokemon tend to have multiple forms. We could potentially have some kind of form change thing here. I'm thinking especially of Xerneas, which has just a cosmetic change that like you don't even control. It's just, it just has a different form in and out of battle where the colored parts of his antlers light up differently or something. Mm. Bronze in particular has two very different appearances. Ah, yeah. When it's oxidized or patina-covered green and the natural brown form of yeah. the bronze color. So you can have one where the statue, as we see it throughout the game, is probably more in that. Yeah, the pieces that you're patina covered green. Are, yeah. And so like that's the default form or the weaker form maybe, and mm. it has the powered up form where it is that actual bronze. It's all shiny and, and buffed. Yeah. yeah. Marble doesn't have something quite as dramatic, but. Mm. That swirly marbled pattern you picture only exists in marble because of impurities in the rock itself. Okay. Pure marble is just white. Yeah. So we have, again, the statue itself is that more swirly natural pattern, the one you picture with marble. Yeah. And then its pure form becomes practically glowing white rock. Ooh, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. There might be purely cosmetic changes. Maybe they're actually representing something. But we can get into that. Yeah. Okay, so what do they look like? Yes. What do these statues depict, essentially? What are they statues of? Yeah. Most statues generally from that period and that style would have been people. So probably somewhat humanoid. Yeah? I think so. Like, you know, David, the classics. Yeah, that stuff does come to mind. It's not going to be one of those Pokemon that's ambiguously just kind of a person and not really an animal. You know, Gardevoir or Cerulege to be more recent. Okay, you're thinking more like bipedal. Yeah, like it's a a humanoid form but still with animal inspirations. Sure, sure. Are there any legendaries that are like that? I mean, Mewtwo, right? Like, going back to old school, like that's a humanoid form that would like some cat influences? Yeah. You know, just embryo. Yeah. But mascot legendary is definitely not. So those would stand out for that. And another fun thing is old school Pokemon games, the ones on the Game Boy and the Advance and DS, they all had square boxes. Now that we're on the Switch, they've got the taller boxes. Mm. So having a taller humanoid frame to fit that box would actually like be better. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And I'm also draw inspiration from the most obvious one would be wolves. If they're humanoid, then we still could because it would be kind of different, but it's still a werewolf kind of thing. Uh, well, I don't know. Uh, but like, that's not, I don't think that's the vibe we're going for. No, and it's still too close, I think, to Zacian and Zanazenta. Yeah, we could do something akin to the architecture of Italy and specifically uh-huh. like Gothic cathedral kind of stuff, like big churches. And I'm thinking about those gargoyles that are just amalgamations of a number of creatures. Okay. So it could be something like that, where it's just like kind of bits and pieces from various things to create a beast. <laughs> okay. 
Okay, so now I'm thinking though about Renaissance art in general. Not so much sculpture. Sculpture again, generally pretty human. Yeah. But Renaissance art in general, there's a lot of angels and angelic figures. I'm not thinking we just do the interpretation of an angel as just person with wings and a halo. That's boring. Not Andrew Woman, the Digimon. Well, maybe actually kind of more like Andrew Woman, oh, the Digimon. Because I think she's just a person. Kind of. But she's got some more aspects, particularly she's got more wings. Ooh, I love multiple sets of wings. Because biblical angels, and I don't mean the Tumblr meme of biblically accurate angel that is just the wheel, but more like the seraphim and cherubim, which are more traditionally angelic forms. Seraphim would described as having six wings and cherubim with four wings. Oh, okay. A huge part of Italian culture and Italian history is very religion oriented, but that's not something that we really want to incorporate a whole lot. No. Because, like, that is a living religion. That's something yeah, that people actively yeah. practice. We're not going to make that into, like, a thing, but taking a little bit of inspiration. Yeah. We're not going to go explicitly angels, but more just the shape of angel in the form yeah, of yeah. vaguely humanoid with wings. But taking inspiration from both that aspect of Italy and then also that aspect of Renaissance art, because that is something that you see a lot in the specific art movement that we want to reference a lot. If we're specifically looking at seraphs and cherubs, or seraphim and cherubim, seraphim are considered the highest rank in Christian angelology, which I guess is a thing, <laughs> but only the fifth rank in Jewish angelic hierarchy, and cherubim are the second highest. In the Bible, cherubs and seraphs are also affiliated or associated with or described as looking like animals. Okay. The cherub is depicted as having two pairs of wings and four faces, a lion, an ox, a human, and an eagle for birds. So that's a whole thing there. Interesting. For the seraph though, in Hebrew the word seraph means burning and is used seven times throughout the text of the Hebrew Bible as a noun, usually to denote serpent. So they've got some snake association. The seraph, essentially a humanoid snake head, six wings. That's a creature. That's a creature. <laughs> and it's in love with four-winged humanoid with the head of a lion ox eagle. <laughs> Their legs were straight with the soles of their feet like the hooves of a bull. I think going with an ox is more interesting. It's different. Mm. And it seems that it draws slightly more on that, maybe? I don't know. Like the hooves. Yeah. Sure, yeah. An ox and a snake legendary? Snake and ox and angels? Is that what we're going with? It's going to be relatively loose anyway. I think like we'll have horns. Yeah. Bull horns. Yeah. But a more mild blended face, maybe. Yeah. Maybe for the sake of the wings, they're slightly different wings between the two. Like overall, so. more or less the same shape but slightly yeah. different and then for the cherub again we could draw on eagle wings as part of yeah. that design for whatever reason the wings on the snaky seraph one I'm imagining more sleek I was thinking more like long like crane wings oh interesting cherub is a bit more wide seraph is longer okay and so the snaky seraph one will be the mascot for marble the cheruby oxen one for bronze sure once you get into the bodies though whilst yes tall and slender versus broad and bulky but I think don't make the bodies otherwise more like the animals. Yeah. Like, they're still humanoid bodies at that point, I think. Yeah. Design-wise, I think that kind of covers it. I think so. Names and abilities time. Ah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Legendary names follow some rules. They try to make them names that don't necessarily need to be translated or can work multilingually. Consider Koraidon and Miraidon. Korai and Mirai being Japanese words and then Don just being from the Latin. Sure. Let's have a little look at what could work for some names for these things. We've also got the words Seraph and Cherub Seraph to work and with are, right there. Or Seraphim Cherubim Do we want to draw Off of Romeo and Juliet For names at all We could Statue could be a good word To draw off 
etymology. Statue is a good word. Also, the materials, marble and bronze, yeah. could work in here. Bromeo. <laughs> Dude, um, you're such a bromeo. A bromeo is like Romeo, but instead of obsessing over a girl and like that in that way, he does it over his bros. Yeah. He's like, you're my best friend. I'm going to go and like wait outside your balcony and serenade you. But soft, what light from yonder window breaks? It's my boy. <laughs> is the east and my boy is the sun <laughs> part of what makes Koraidon and Miraidon so good they've got Korai and Mirai being past and future in Japanese mm. Don being lizardy words but then they make the sound of ride on because you're riding mm. on them tying into the role they play in the plot so maybe something to do with the role these play in the plot something about how they're broken incomplete okay in pieces could also bring in the mythos that we've created with them of them being in love more amare yeah. Seramare. Seramare Amarebim. Somewhat similar, I guess, to like Dialga and Palkia, where they had similar sounds, but at different ends of the word. Mm. So it's, we'd be using the word Amare at the beginning of one name and the end of the other, which there's something poetic feeling about that. That is nice. Beginning yeah. and end. Seraphim Amare Seramare Amare Cherubim Amarebim or Amarubim, like Cherubim. Yeah, I think Amarubim. Yeah, you prefer the U? I think so. I do really like using the Italian word for love yeah. as a binding factor between these names. It's a nice thematic potential pulling point. It makes me happy. Yeah. Pokemon's always had something to say about love. Oh, yeah. But making it potentially a bigger theme could be nice. Yeah. And I know we had talked about our theme being discovery. Discovery. But it's also shaping up to be a little bit about building something up and, like, creating yeah. something. Which is a form of discovery. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you're building up your starting town. You're building up these yeah. statues. You're, you're creating and discovering something. We, we the story of these two characters throughout the game of the way. Every time you add a part to the statue, mm. you get a little bit more of a story excerpt or an insert yeah. or something, which could potentially be told in almost like a little mini cutscene kind of thing, even if it's just in text. Yeah. It could be a thing only for the player and not necessarily the characters. Yeah. All the characters could get as well. There's multiple ways to take that. I like that a lot. And then that's also, you're building up the story. You're discovering their story. Yeah. Covering it. Okay, we've got names. We haven't typed them yet. Oh, I thought it was clear that they were rock, marble, and steel bronze. I think so. <laughs> but I'm going to blow your mind with some Pokemon knowledge right now, Alex. Uh-huh. Did you know Pokemon can have two types? What? I know. No. <laughs> Huge if true. Can you imagine what that would do for the competitive metagame of Pokemon? Dang. If they could have two types? That would be wild. <laughs> could you imagine if Charizard could be fire and flying? What? <laughs> Speaking of flying, mm. are these two just rock flying, steel flying? Because mm. I feel like there's other elements to draw in here. Like, I think for now, let's say they're both flying types. Yeah, I think I like that. But then maybe, because we mentioned them having different forms that could have just been, mm. like, cosmetic forms, but maybe they have different types and we'll decide later on they need these types for reasons. Yeah. So for now, Seramare can be rock flying, mm. Amarabim can be steel flying. Cool. They need an ability each. Mascot legendaries tend to have, nowadays, a pair of new abilities that often are mirrors of each other. Koraidon and Miraidon is the most recent. Koraidon has Oracalcum Pulse, Miraidon having Hadron Engine, which respectively bring on sun or electric terrain, but also boost one of their attack stats. They can be slight tweaks on existing abilities, and that's fine. That's kind of what I'm thinking. The obvious thing that comes to mind is some kind of armor. Okay. There, there's like a, a bunch of different kind of armor abilities, but yeah. like the fact that they are made of these hard 
sturdy, sturdy materials. materials yeah. yeah. Okay. Is there something that ties into the unique nature of each of them? One being rock and one being metallic. So I'm thinking about what does unite them or separate them. Marble and bronze. Marble being subtractive sculpture material. Bronze being typically an additive sculpting material. Right. Yeah. Marble being essentially brittle and not malleable. You can chisel it away to shape it, but you cannot bend it. Whereas bronze, you can melt it down. You can manipulate it a little bit more. It becomes soft, so you can reshape it. Well, you can't do that with marble. So maybe one has some kind of armor that reduces something, and one having an armor that adds something? I don't know what you would reduce stat-wise. Your own you wouldn't want to, but potentially your opponent's? Could be something along the lines of, like, vital spirit in that undying love aspect. Um, okay. Vital spirit being the Pokemon's full of vitality and it can't fall asleep. So maybe some kind of status immunity. Thinking about their love aspect, it makes me think about the attract mechanic in Pokemon, mm. but that's very gender-based as it stands. And yeah. Legendary Pokemon, for one, are typically genderless as yeah, it is. Yeah, and I'm, I have not been assigning and a I, gender to either yeah, of these. <laughs> I don't want to gender either one. What does attract do? So well, the move attract specifically inflicts the attract status. If an effectuated Pokemon attempts to use a move, it will fail 50% of the time, even when targeting Pokemon other than one it is infatuated with. I'm looking at abilities like Inner Focus, which prevents flinching. Mm. Infatuation also prevents attacking. And I'm thinking about maybe there's a way where like their love is so strong, they can't be prevented no matter what. And that feels OP, but maybe it's if they're doing a certain kind of thing. Maybe mm. one of them has an ability where their attacks can't be prevented if they're using a damaging move, and one has it where they can't be prevented if they're using a status move. Okay. Alternatively, physical and special, but I prefer attacking and status because that feels more like attacking and defending, which I feel like is a good pair for these. Yeah, yeah. When I say can't be prevented using a move, I'm thinking it can be hit by any status condition, like sleep, paralysis, mm -hmm. freeze, whatever, but can still move despite those conditions. Okay. And that we I think that's very cool. Yeah, we give them names based on... Unflinching marble, unflinching bronze. I was going to say hearts or love or something. Oh, but okay. Marble heart, bronze heart. Oh yeah, that's great. Done. In the bag. <laughs> which one's which? Marble uses attacking moves. Bronze uses status moves. So Seramare has marble heart, which prevents it from ever being prevented using its move, provided it's attacking, and Amarabim has bronze heart, which means it can never be prevented from using its move, provided it's using a status move. Oh, you got two Pokemon and they're in love. They're in love! Star-crossed lovers. And we didn't make either one Astro-type. <laughs> or did we? So today, we've made our two legendary mascot Pokemon for Pokemon Marble and Bronze. Pokemon Marble's mascot is Seramare, a rock-flying type Pokemon that is a statue and you'll construct it over the course of Pokemon Marble and is loosely based on Seraphim, particularly drawing on a snake theme and mm. is made of marble and has six wings and has its own unique ability that allows it to always use its attacking moves so it can protect its love because it's in love with the other statue legendary Pokemon. Which is the bronze statue, the counterpart, Steel flying type, Amarabim, based loosely on a cherub, taking on aspects in particular of an ox, as well as having a set of four wings. And this one has an ability that allows it to always use a status move, Bronze Heart. To defend its love, because they're also loosely based on Romeo and Juliet. And yeah. they're star-crossed lovers, because they're separated in different museums. <laughs> and maybe one will end up being used by the villain team for evil or something, perhaps. No. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to Pokemakers. And 
thank you to the Pocket Podcast Network for hosting us. You can find other cool shows on the network such as The Tio and Rio Show, Home Viewing, and Green Mountain Mysteries. Thank you to Mike Freitag for our theme music. You can find him on Twitter at Admiral Amara. You can also find us on Twitter at Pokemakers. And you can find us both individually. I'm at CodenameJD. And I'm at Pachu, P-T-C-H-E-W. And don't forget to check us out on the Pocket Podcast Network Community Discord. But until next time, gotta gotta make them all. Pocket Podcast Network. Quality programming right to your pocket. Do you like the Dresden Files novels, tabletop role-playing games, improv, adventure, or butt jokes? If not, I don't know if we can help you. Hi there, this is Michael, the host and game master for Green Mountain Mysteries, a Dresden Files RPG actual play podcast about four ersatz heroes fighting wizards and monsters in Burlington, Vermont. Come for the grand urban fantasy adventure full of diverse characters. Stay for the many butt jokes. Seriously, one of the players is playing a proctologist. It's just chef's kiss. You can listen to new episodes of Green Mountain Mysteries every Wednesday on the Pocket Podcast Network or wherever fine podcasts are sold.